0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, it's been great. It's great to be back. Julie and I have been on away for a couple of weeks. I've been working on this thing called a doctoral dissertation. And it's uh, just a big word to say, a lot of research and a lot of writing. Um, but I'm grateful I am on chapter 2 of 5, and uh, so continue to pray with me. We, I hope to get that done in the next 5 or 6 weeks, and uh, then the 8-year journey can come to a close. So. And it's a good thing because I'm going to be 60 this year. I feel like that's when you need to complete your education. I kind of feel like 60 years is really ought to be, it ought to be enough. So, and I don't know, maybe I won't be able to think after 60. I don't know, we'll see. All of you that have passed 60, you're doing great. Thank you for your encouragement that you can think all the way up into your 90s or even over 100, so I'm grateful for that. But uh, thank you for praying. Seriously, it's been good. We're going to be doing a little more of that in July, but uh, great to be with you today and to open God's word. Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 15, is where we'll be today. And we're going to talk about this subject. The title of the message is Boundaries and Gates boundaries and gates. You have a lot of boundaries in your life, no doubt, right? If you own a piece of property, you have property lines, and you know where your property ends and where your neighbor's begins. You're responsible for what's on your piece of property, but you're not responsible for what's in your neighbor's property. You may be a nice person and help care for your neighbor's lawn like my, your neighbor's house, who like my neighbor is for me. He'll help me, but it's not really his responsibility. Henry Cloud wrote an excellent book called Boundaries, and it talks about the reality that we as individuals need to have boundaries in our lives. What is me and what is you? I can help you, I can love you and I must, but I'm not really responsible for you in the same way that I'm responsible for me. I cannot make you happy. I would like for you to be happy, but sometimes others want to push across the boundary and place on us what really is their responsibility. So it's important for us to have healthy boundaries in our lives. And it's really true for a lot of things, right? You don't plant a garden and just right out in the middle of the lawn. You place a boundary around it. If you're gonna plant a tomato plant, you wanna put a boundary around it, one, to make sure you don't hit it with the lawnmower, but two, to make sure it has a chance to grow, that it's protected, that it doesn't just get overrun with other plants or weeds. You protect that plant, you put a boundary around it. You do the same thing with your treasure, right? I've been to some of your houses, and you don't just have boxes outside by the street just full of money and jewelry, right? You, you protect it. You put it in a place that it can be protected, and so people aren't just going to run off with it. We need to have boundaries in our lives that are like that. Do the same thing with your time, right? There's a, you don't let someone just take all of your time. You're going to put a boundary around that. Well, Nehemiah, as we've talked about for the last, I don't know, couple of months, as they've been rebuilding the wall, he's been heartbroken that the boundary around Jerusalem has been torn down. And that the city lies vulnerable to all kinds of other attacks and the neighbors and the enemies around that they can walk in and take anything, anytime they want. That the city doesn't bring God glory Because really, they're not even very well defined. Boundaries define what's a city and what's not. So his heart is broken because the people can't be God's people because the boundaries have been torn down. So so Nehemiah goes and he leads the people to rebuild the wall, the boundary around the city. And in Nehemiah 6.15, they finish. Nehemiah 6.15 says this. So the wall was finished... On the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. Wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. There is something so important about finishing, isn't there? I can say that as someone trying to finish a degree. It is so important to actually finish something. Because until you finish, it doesn't really count, right? It, hasn't, it doesn't really exist until it's done. The children of Israel didn't stop. Remember all the distractions? Remember the enemies trying to, trying to scare them? Remember them having to fight with a sword in one hand and a, and a trowel in the other hand? They did all these things in 52 days, and they finished the wall. The city of Jerusalem is now enclosed and can be protected. Remember, what, what this matters because the wall was your symbol of military might. It was a symbol of who your city really was, and it gave you the distinction of being able of being able to be God's people. So important that they finished the wall. And the Bible says they finished it in 52 days. And the number of 52 is important because number five is the number four. No, it's, don't, don't even go there. Did you ever do that? I mean, some people get so involved in numerology of the Bible, and they go, well, you know, five plus two equals seven, so it's a perfect wall. No, if that was true, it would be seven, right? Fifty-two days has a meaning, and it's this. It took 52 days. (laughs) 52 days, that's all it took, 52 days. Um, It's not a day, it's a thousand years. It's 52 days. Here's the point. Boundaries can be built relatively quickly. As we go through this message today, you may come up with some boundaries. You're like, I need some boundaries. But I feel like it's going to take a while. It may take a while, but it doesn't take forever. They rebuilt this wall in 52 days. They created this boundary around the city of God. So think about it for a moment. Do you have boundaries in your life? What would your work boundaries be? Is there a limit to how much you work? The way that we can now work remote, cell phones, iPads, laptops. We could literally work, some of us, all the time and never, ever get a break from it never really even have a Sabbath. There needs to be a boundary around our work so that we protect ourselves and so our job doesn't destroy us, right? There's also boundaries in marriage, isn't there? When you get married, you're saying, I'm building a boundary around my life with this other person. I'm saying you are special to me, you are unique to me, There are things that I will only share with you. And I'll keep everyone else out of the boundary of my marriage. See, an open marriage is not a marriage at all. Because there's nothing to protect. Without a boundary in marriage, there's there's nothing to enjoy, to celebrate. And it really just becomes like any other relationship. There's also boundaries in parenting, isn't there? It's one of the things that... Moms and dads have the most fun doing, right? Sitting down and saying, all right, this is what we're going to allow. This is what we're not going to allow. No TV ever. No sweets ever, right? Unless we take them to grandma's house, right? That's how it works. But you do. You have boundaries that are so important. You don't want your kids running in the middle of the street. When they get older, there's time when they're supposed to be home. There's who they can be with. There's what they can do. Boundaries are important. And for parents, when you build boundaries, you're saying... I want you to understand these are absolutely secure boundaries. When you give a child boundaries that are strong and not elastic and not porous, you're giving them the foundation to build their own boundaries that are not porous and elastic as well. Your child should really always know pretty much what your answer is going to be. In our house, if you wanted a yes, you asked mom, but if you wanted a no, you'd know. No, they always knew this was pretty much how it was going to go. Uh, Only if it was something outside the box, and they would say, Julie would say, well, we need to ask Dad. And the kids would say, oh, no. (laughs) It's for sure going to be a no. But seriously, we decided what our boundaries were going to be for our kids, and you have to enforce those. But the most important boundary is the boundary you build around your spiritual life. What are the boundaries that you've built around your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a boundary that I'm going to live as best I can by the Word of God? As it is written, as it is presented to us, as, as God has preserved throughout the centuries to say, this is what I want you to know about living for me. Is this your boundary? Or honestly, as you look at this word today, are you saying, except for a few things? See, if that's where you are, then you really don't have a boundary. You have a big hole. And your relationship with Jesus is not really all that exclusive. And you're allowing others to to get in there and mess with your life, just just like Jerusalem would have been until they actually built the boundaries. Do you have a boundary around this time on Sunday morning? Do you have a boundary around worship? Say, it's important to me. It it makes me able to interact with my God in a way I can't do any other way than being with God's people. Do you have a boundary around your time alone with Him where you take some time every day? Say, God, I want to know you. I want to enjoy you. I want to experience you. I want to celebrate you. I'm not going to let other things get in there and distract me and destroy me. See, some people are afraid to build boundaries. I've had this happen to many, many times. You have too, probably, where someone will say to you, you know what, I'd follow Jesus except for I don't really want to give up a lot of stuff. And you know what that stuff is. I'm afraid that I'm not going to have any fun. Or I'm afraid that I'm going to be poor. Or I'm afraid that I just got to walk around being sad all the time like all those church people I grew up with. Nobody else had that experience, right? I, I grew up with a lot of fun people. I hope you did too. So many people are afraid of that boundary. But let me tell you something. And I think you all know this, but I really preaching is about reminding people what they already know. But having Jesus Christ is the greatest thing you could ever have. H- having the Spirit live within you is the greatest joy, greatest pleasure you could have. It's way better than all the partying you could ever do. It's way better than any other relationship you could ever have. It's way better than any other experience you could have is to know that the God of the universe dwells with you and in you and will never leave you or forsake you. That you're good with him, that you're not trying to constantly, man, I, man, I, I, better, I better do good today because I did kind of bad yesterday. I better do great today because man, yesterday I you know, I kind of kinda of messed up, so I gotta make up that that's not how you live when you're a follower of Jesus. You just simply said, Yeah, I need to repent of what I did yesterday. I want your sacrifice to count for my sin so that I can continue to enjoy my relationship with you. What did David say, Psalm fifty one? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I love that. Tim Keller, who is right now my favorite preacher, if you haven't experienced much of Tim Keller. Go to YouTube. It's amazing. It uh, also has a, an app. But um, Tim Keller said to be filled with the Holy Spirit is largely to walk around aware of what you have, who you are, and who's right there. I fear oftentimes when we don't have good boundaries, we forget what we have in Jesus. We forget the fact the God of the universe lives inside of us. We, we kind of exist like my mango tree. I love mangoes, and one of our members sweetly gave us a mango tree. But they didn't know that I'm not a great gardener, and they let me plant it. And what happened was I planted it, but I planted too many other things around it. And so now what we have is a pretty nice-looking tree, but there's no fruit. I didn't put a boundary around the mango tree. And so, yeah, it's there. And listen, the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's never left you. But he's just kind of in the background, and there's really not any fruit being produced. We need to have a boundary around our spiritual life. But when you do that, there's going to be resistance. Resistance. There's going to be those who would say, I want to make you afraid. Because if you say, I'm going to live by this word of God, there's going to be those who will tell you, you need to be afraid because that's not acceptable in our culture. And it happened the same way in Jerusalem. Verse 16 of chapter 6 says this, And when all of our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid, and they fell greatly in their own esteem. I love that. Um, For they perceived that this work had been done I have been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Jerusalem were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and the son of Johanan uh, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. It's interesting. Initially, the enemies are afraid, but their goal is to make the people of God afraid. You know, fear begats fear. Fearful people constantly want to make you afraid. And what Tobiah is doing here is he's trying to reach into the city of Jerusalem and he's trying to make them afraid because they have built this wall to separate themselves from the rest of the people. Because they built this boundary. Because they've said, we want to be the people of God. The outsiders have said, no, you can't do that. You've got to be like the rest of us. You need to be afraid. And so Tobiah reaches out and he says to the nobles of Judah, listen, better be careful. You owe me. We have an agreement. We have a contract. And this oath that they had between the nobles, which would have been kind of the the business people, the upper class of the city of Jerusalem, there was some kind of an agreement with them and Tobiah. It was probably a trade agreement. It's very likely that what Tobiah was doing was saying, listen, if you continue to live in this walled city with this boundary, I'm going to break off this trade agreement, and the economic consequences are going to be huge. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is exactly how our culture operates. If you don't believe like we believe, if you believe in the God of the Bible, you're going to suffer financially. You can't live like that because what God says violates what our culture stands for, doesn't it? It tries to make them afraid. Just like what happened to Chick-fil-A recently. You can't build a... a, a, um, the Chick-fil-A in this particular place because it's government-owned and Chick-fil-A stands for the Word of God, doesn't it? You've probably found this in your own corporation. It may have happened to you that you have to affirm lifestyles that are contrary to the Word of God that actually separate people from God or you can't work for that company. These are the kinds of things that are happening in our culture today. The idea is to make God's people afraid. But God's people don't need to be afraid. You don't need to think that the only way that I can exist is to be like everybody else. You can stand for our God and do it well. It's worth the risk. It's worth the cost. But you're going to have to establish some gates. Some gates. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the people do in order to interact effectively with culture. Verse one says, now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened till the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Interesting. So we have this wall, we have this boundary, and the idea is that within that boundary, we can celebrate, enjoy, develop as God's people, right? But there has to be a gate or multiple gates, multiple ways for us to interact with culture In order for us to make Jesus known. And that's what's happening here. Nehemiah is saying these are the gates that we established so that we could go and come and so we could interact with culture and bring glory to God. But notice, they're not just any gates. These gates, actually, he appoints singers to come and sing at the gates. Imagine coming into a city and there's a bunch of singers over there and they're singing Amazing Grace. Are they singing victory in Jesus, right? Are they singing some kind of worship music? They're actually, as you walk in, that's what you hear. It's kind of like you walk into a store and you hear praise music. Like, oh, wait a minute, am I in Chick Fil A? I'm in Hobby Lobby. I'm in am in a store. Somebody has 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 some kind of sense of of who Christ might be. In these gates, there was worship. You see, when we are connecting with the outside world. There needs to be a sense that I'm a worshiper of Jesus. No matter what happens to me, I've got the greatest thing in the world. I've got the greatest relationship in the world. I've got the God of the universe in my heart. That needs to be who you are. And no, you don't have to be annoying about it. But it needs to be present in you, right? It needs to be present in your life. There needs to be a sense of worship about you. And so at the gates, Nehemiah had singers. I love that. These singers are praising God. So in all their interaction, they're bringing glory to God, which is what the people of God are supposed to do. But not only that, they set up guards. They set up guards. Guards to watch who came in, who went out, to protect the city, so that even though the boundaries are in place, the people can't sneak in and maraud and steal and rob and corrupt the people. The same is true with us as you interact with culture. And you need to. But you need to guard how you do that. And you need to have others maybe help you examine your relationships and the way that you connect with the world. There should be a sense of, you know, I want to make sure I'm giving influence as opposed to receiving influence from the outside world. You may need to have other people kind of help you. And often in companies, and you'll find other believers that you can kind of interact with and help you understand and help you plan. How are we going to deal with this policy? How are we going to deal with this issue? In your neighborhood, there's probably others who are also followers of Jesus that you can work together. Help me guard myself so I'm not being dragged down by other people, but rather I'm representing Christ well. See, really, there's three levels of relationship we should have. The first is the closest, and those should be the people that are already inside of the gates, the people who are inside of the kingdom of God. These should be your very best friends because they have the same heart, the same spirit, the same joy that you have. They're the ones that can help lift you up and help you through some issues. And then there are the people that are maybe coming coming through the gates. There's some interest. And you can kind of have a relationship with them. It's a little bit, uh, not quite as deep as those inside the gates, but not completely shallow. And you can get there. You can have some discussions occasionally about who Jesus is. And then you have the people who are far from God. You need to know some of those people. You need to to care about them. I, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the joy that I have. I want you to know the peace, the future that I have, the purpose that I have. But often we need other people to help guard us and be careful in those relationships to make sure that we're not being drawn away. So there were singers at the gates. The gates were guarded, and the gates were only open when the sun was out. Think about that. They didn't open the gates at night. They waited until the sun was hot, which I don't know what time that was. No one knows, but it was certainly very, very light at that time. So there was a sense of what was happening, the goings and comings of the gates, the interaction with the world were not in any way hidden, but they were well lit and easy to examine. We shouldn't have any kind of dark relationships that are, that are not in the light of God that we're trying to have some kind of clandestine uh, relationship. It should be something that's before and in front of God that we're, we're happy for him to see, happy for him to know about. They established their gates. Let me ask you, how are your gates right now? Do you have connection with the outside world? Sometimes with COVID, everyone has gotten so far inside that you're like, I don't know anybody that doesn't live in my house or doesn't deliver groceries, right? I need to be a sense of, God, what are my gates? Who do I know? Who, who can I let know about Jesus? Who can, I, who can I get to know that I can encourage and I can bring joy into their life, that I can bless? How are my gates? I encourage you, you need to have some gates. When we think about our lives, is Jesus the greatest thing in your life? Are you experiencing Him in that way? See, a lot of times people live their lives as followers of Jesus and they never really get there. He is far better than anything the world has to offer that the Bible forbids. And I think a lot of people have never experienced that. I want to urge you today to understand that Jesus is better than anything else. And there should be a sense of constant joy in his presence. But if the boundaries are torn down, it's very hard to experience him in that way. Very, very hard. The boundaries need to be built or rebuilt. Or reestablished. And it's really as simply as saying, Jesus, I, I want to live in the way that, that you gave me to live. I, I want to build those boundaries around my life so that I can appreciate and enjoy you, and you're not just a tree in the background. Rather, you're at the center of my life, and I'm enjoying the fruit of you. And I have the incredible joy of having you in my life. We need to finish the boundaries. And we need to establish the gates. What is the challenge for you with interacting with others? Is it too open? Is it in the dark? Is it unguarded? Or is it worshipful? Is it guarded by others to help me make sure that I'm I'm having the right relationships? Is it well lit? See, Jesus calls us to this. He gives us the opportunity to have this boundary around who we are. There's a lot of boundaries in the Bible. Jesus talks about the ultimate boundary in Matthew chapter 7. When he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal the sick? And didn't we do all these things? And he'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. It's, it's one of the most terrifying verses in all Scripture because so many people think, well, I've been a good person. I've been better than most people. I'm surely, I'm going to get there. But he said, listen, if, if I don't know you, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, I want you to be in the kingdom because some people will say, well, there's, I don't understand this. You're in or you're out. Listen, that's why there's a boundary Because Jesus will never take you to live with him if you don't want to go. And if there's no boundary in your life, you've never said, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want to be your child. I repent of my sins, and I'm asking you, Jesus, to save me. Come into my life. Your spirit, to come into my life. That's never happened. There is no spiritual boundary around your life. And you're missing living with Jesus. You're missing that. And on that day, you will miss spending eternity with him. That's his invitation today. Has that been your life? It doesn't take long to build that boundary. Matter of fact, it only takes as long as that simple prayer. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I'm sorry. I need you. I need you to pay for my sin, the, the price you paid on the cross. Would you forgive me? and come into my life I want that to be my boundary for some that has been your your history but lately some of those walls have gotten torn down and you've let some things get into your life to where Jesus is more on the outside than as he is on the inside he didn't leave you but as it says in Revelation 3 that Jesus said I behold I, I stand at the door and knock and he says it to a church. He says it to followers of him who were supposed to be his people. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I'm going to come in and I'm going to have dinner with you. Let me ask, is he knocking on the door today? And he may be telling you, you need to rebuild the boundaries of your life. Some things that don't need to be a part of your life. And they're robbing you of